Hello, hello. Welcome to the 26th episode of Global AI podcast. This time we have joined, we are joined by Karen. Um, I'm Arafat Asin and my today I'll be uh, joined by my co-host Somi. So we both are Microsoft MVPs for artificial intelligence. And just for the housekeeping, we do this just to create an awareness for artificial intelligence across the board and across the globe. Today, we are so much glad that we are joined by an executive dean of RMIT University. Over to you, Karen, for your uh, better introduction, I think. Yeah, sure. No worries. So I am, as you said, the executive dean of the School of Computing Technologies at RMIT. And um, I also am a researcher who's been working on natural language processing for about 30 years. And um, I specifically have been focusing my efforts around biomedicine. And that has brought me into contact with a lot of people in the health sector. And um, so I've also uh, become a co-founder of something called the Australian Alliance for AI in Healthcare. And that's um, a community organization really of people who are, who are talking about the issues of implementing AI in healthcare settings. Oh, sorry. Uh, interesting. So I never knew uh, when I was going through your your profile. I did not know that you have you have aced in the natural language processing as well. So this is fascinating, <laughs> for it's sure. Exciting. Um, we can yeah. together. <laughs> Deep, deeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because it's it's all about natural language these days, you know, with the advent of ChatGPT and all that. But yeah. We'll, we'll go to that part, <laughs> but let's talk about um, like how AI in health has become your focus, like coming from the NLP background. Um, is it something you chose or is it, was it something very closer to your heart? What, what's the story behind it? Yeah, look, I've always I, I, I've always loved language. So that's how I got started with natural language processing. Um, and in fact, I, I spent a number of years working in AI startups way back um, in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, which, which was crazy. But at some point, um, I decided to return to um, a research, more research-oriented setting, and I joined Los Alamos National Laboratory, um, which most people associate with like the Manhattan Project. And of course, you know, there's the Oppenheimer movie that's out right now. But what people don't necessarily appreciate is that Los Alamos does a huge amount of, of science um, in, various, in various ways. Um, so one thing they do is high performance computing. So they, they have massive computers. And so they actually employ a lot of computer scientists to do research there. And the other thing um, that they do is a lot of, of um, biomedical research. And in fact, the Human Genome Project was hosted at Los Alamos initially. It eventually moved away. Um, um, but when I arrived at Los Alamos, there were people who were combining those two things and actually doing computational biology. And wow. the very first week there, one of my colleagues said, huh, you work on language processing. Um, I think we can use your skills in my project. And I said, okay, what's your project? And he said, I work on protein function prediction. And I said, what's a protein? <laughs> <laughs> but then we, through talking to him, um, you know, I sort of discovered 
that actually the scientific literature, which is what words, right? It's language, yeah. it's, it's, it's text. The scientific literature is a huge source of information about science. And um, so I started working in protein function prediction with him by essentially trying to machine read scientific papers to look for information about proteins, how they interact with other proteins, relationships between proteins and diseases and the kind of biological pathways that, that lead um, to, to disease. And, and so I slowly found myself getting sucked into this, this biomedical area. And, you know, through that route of natural language processing, realizing that there was just a huge amount of information in text form that we needed to, um, to make sense of. So that's how I started. And at some point I realized that, um, that, okay, there's obviously a lot, a lot going on in science, but where this stuff really can have an impact is in the clinical domain, where we're, we're trying to leverage that knowledge and leverage those insights to help patients and help people, right? And um, I also, you know, as a patient was noticing that we were writing a whole lot of things down in the context of, of, of healthcare. We were um, making notes and, and, you know, even you, you go to the emergency department, the first thing they do is ask you questions and they, and they, and they type the answer down. Um, you know, your GP writes, writes notes, they go straight into, into a piece of, so of software and, and start typing the notes. And so all of this was happening. And I thought, well, there's a huge amount of information about, about patients um, and their symptoms and their diseases and their progress and all of that captured in, in text form. So maybe I should be thinking about trying to leverage this natural language processing interests and skills that I have in the context of clinical text. And so that got me then working in the clinical domain as well and trying to, to develop that, which then made me realize all of the challenges that there are, in fact, in, in working with health data, particularly from a com com computation perspective, because yeah. it's, hard, it's hard to get access to, you know, it's very sensitive data, of course. And anyway, so I broadened my perspective over time, trying to actually look at the system in addition to the kind of particular opportunities for leveraging um, NLP in that context. Wow, this is, I think this is, this has, or the evolution of your, your whole career has been so very well crafted <laughs> that uh, we can see the challenges and notice the challenges in our day-to-day -day lives for coming from the very handwritten notes to, to digitizing it and making now sense of that data. And you have been, looking at it from very closer angle since the starting day, which is super cool. Um, I think the next question on this would be that when you said that, yes, there has been a digitization or a little bit of digitization, if not everywhere around the globe of those nodes or, or the data, um, how the adoption has been so far. And also um, in, addition, in, in, in addition to that, um, have we got like so many promising applications of AI in healthcare or there are just few which are making sense and the others are just very old school or legacy systems? Yeah, look, it's definitely work in progress. So the areas where we've seen the most adoption and the most benefit from AI so far are imaging applications. So computer vision, image analysis applications. 
Um, and that's for two reasons, really. One is that the data itself is more regular, it's higher quality, it's easier to access, you know, it comes off of a machine that these machines are made by a small number of manufacturers globally. So, you know, if you take an image off of a machine in Germany or you take a machine off uh, image off of a machine in India, they're going to be very similar, right? There's sort of a quality control there. Um, yeah. Plus from, from a, from a um, AI perspective, it's a nice, neat data format. You know, it's an N by M matrix of pixels. Um, it's mm. quite regular, it's dense. And so if we're talking about, you know, using a neural network model, deep learning model or something on this, on this data type, you know, it's, it's on the one hand, really consistent. And on the other hand, um, you know, dense and lends itself very well to the kinds of mathematical models that we have in these AI systems. Other kinds of clinical data are much less regular, much less consistent, and in some cases missing entirely, right? So because yeah. of variations in our healthcare system, we have very different documentation practices in different countries and different, even different hospitals. And so the use of clinical data um, from electronic health records um, is much more fragmented and, and just a lot harder. And right. that's actually been one of my frustrations working on clinical text is that, you know, it's, it's just hard <laughs> and yeah. it's hard to access to the data and, and, you know, it's just really variable and taking a, a model that's been developed in one hospital and trying to apply it in another, you immediately run into a huge number of challenges. So the real world, um, yeah, the real world challenges of working with electronic health record data in particular mean that we're not doing it so much. There's huge potential though. And, you know, the world is moving towards normalization and standardization of data. So we have these kind of global initiatives to um, essentially have a common data model um, for, for electronic health record data. Um, the National Library of Medicine in the United States has been working for 40 years to provide us with kind of standardized vocabularies and nomenclatures. And we actually have, you know, identifiers mm -hmm. that describe clinical signs, disease names. We have something called the International Classification of Disease. So there's all these um, systems that are in place to, to help us kind of standardize the data. But we're, it's still a work in progress. Um, and at the moment, you know, thinking about how data is represented here in Melbourne versus how data is represented even in the United States where at least they use the same language. <laughs> um, it, yeah. it, it can be very, very different. True. So these all True. are problems for, you know, developing models that are gonna be kind of internationally useful. And it's, and it's going to be very challenging because standardizing a new set of data to be unified across the globe it's easier but what about the historical data that we have so it's going to be very difficult and challenging to make to find a unified model that works for all wow that's a that's that's an interesting challenge to have but they, it's going to be more interesting to solve this problem even doing it prospectively is different because all mm. of it is difficult because all of the systems have been set up and so you know it, 
even if you take the same electronic health record system, like from Epic or Cerner, who are who are mm -hmm. two of the biggest electronic health record manu uh, software producers in, in, in the world, they're, they're different implementations. So in fact, um, you know, you can look at two hospitals within a few kilometers of each other um, that have a Cerner implementation and they will have different different modules and they'll even have different ways of using that system. So it doesn't guarantee just because we have kind of software standards that they're actually implemented consistently um, in different places. So yeah, lots of challenges before we even talk about AI, right? Yeah, no, 100%. We've seen people uh, are using generative AIs to analyze images, objects and everything. But I guess OpenAI, the example of image, it could be x-rays, right, in the med medical examples. But we see that companies like OpenAI, they do not recommend or advise using it. So I'm guessing that's, I don't know, you can maybe shed light on that one. Um, it either can be a safety reason or it can be the, the reason could be that technology is not there yet to be confident yeah. enough to it's the confidence issue and the comprehensiveness of the of the models. So one mm. thing we know for sure yeah. is that you know, okay, we we obviously don't know exactly what's in let's say GPT four, right? We we don't yeah. know exactly what the training data was, and so from the from the perspective of um, just coverage and what knowledge is is sort of inherent in in that model. Um, there's a lot of question marks. We just, you know, we don't know what it's seen. Um, mm -hmm. And so we can we can make some guesses. But, you know, it almost certainly hasn't seen clinical data, at least not in the kind of day-to-day -day treatment of patients, because um, that data is not on the web, right, for, for obvious yeah. reasons. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and so yeah. even from that kind of basic perspective of, you know, are, does it capture the right kind of data, I, I would say... Probably not. Does that mean it's not useful? No, because actually back to where I started and where we started, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you a lot of medical knowledge is captured in the literature. And so mm -hmm. that actually is available, right? Um, and, and so it provides a comprehensive foundation. Wikipedia has lots of information about diseases and and treatments and those sorts of things. So there is information that's related to healthcare that's available on the internet. You know, the Mayo Clinic has its own website. You know, there, there's there's a lot of medical information out there, but the question is, you know, how comprehensive is that? And that might provide a good background for understanding the kind of clinical data mm. that's in electronic health record systems, but it's not fit for purpose. And so there's still just a lot of question marks. And I would say we need to do a bunch of research actually to well, evaluate yeah. how we can how we can leverage these models in the context of the more, you know, messy and specific context of, of healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. I think I got I got excited when when I saw someone posting on um, former Twitter now X uh, that um, I, I asked because as soon as they launched, they means OpenAI launched the the GPT four for Vision. People started doing crazy stuff with it, and somebody uploaded the X ray, and I saw the results. Of course, I'm not a doctor uh, or nobody related to medicine, but um, I could see that it generated some output. Um, and then what I did, I I just took that and I sent um, my my wife's dad to just just validate because he's a doctor <laughs> just to validate that ha has it come like correct and 
and he was like not so much correct so and then i so i thought that wow um, this is going to create massive uh, problems for for so many people um, because people love to go and find out on google that i'm having a headache what should i do right so this became this will become a problem um, and as soon as i was thinking about it i i read on openai's their own website that this is not for medicine or medical purposes even microsoft has said that um, other large language models creator are create creators are also saying that so the i think i 100% agree that comprehensive is the comprehensiveness is the right word on that that they are um, they are not comprehensive enough to your point their data has never been public so how are they getting trained on what are they getting trained on except for wikipedia so yeah this is this is something really um, good for for everybody who's listening to understand this that not all the problems are going to be solved by a generative ai of now, today what what i think you know i think these models um actually as 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 models so as um language models or as image models you know kind of encoding information that's really valuable but i think mm -hmm. in application we need to be really careful and yeah. i i personally believe um that that the most value we can get from these models is to use them in the context of a targeted application which we can train test and evaluate specifically for and so that's essentially you know the, what i'm talking about is taking um, a foundation model of some variety and then fine-tuning yeah. it for a particular task, um, ma making sure that it has, you know, seen exactly the kind of data where we want to use it and that where we can set up a, a, an evaluation of that. And so it's not generative. The, 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 yeah. We're using the, the um, self-supervision and the, you know, the deep learning capabilities to infer the model but then we're applying it in a way that's not generative. It's more about classification or detection. And to me, that allows us to better control how we use it and also what outputs we get out of it and have more trust in it. Yeah, uh, this brings me to another thought, like you're, you're, you still think that um, it's nowhere near AGI or artificial general intelligence. Um, it's good that we, we infuse our um, data or our trainings or fine tune them in order to get a better output rather than trusting just on the foundation model or something which um, which is generic. No, I and I, I I don't believe these models are anywhere near AGI. Hmm. I don't in fact believe they're intelligent. You know what yeah. what they have been yeah. trained to do is simulate intelligence, which which yes. is which they're actually very very good at. Um, but, you know, to take the, the, the um, large language models, uh, the generative ones, they, they are next word predictors. And so they're doing yeah. a phenomenal job of predicting the next word in the sequence. But do they have like any this. intelligence? Do they have any yeah. understanding? No, they, they don't even. So I, one of my PhD students is looking at negation. Um, in the context of these large language models. And another mm. one is looking at numerical reasoning. And mm. you know, be, neither one of those things, by the way, work well, right? So, so yeah. these large language, the generative systems, they don't even see negation. So if you, if you take a statement and, and you invert it by, by putting not somewhere in there, 
they they will answer exactly the same way as if the knot wasn't there. So mm -hmm. humans would never do that, right? As soon as you say, yeah. you know, this person is not happy, you know that it's the opposite of this person is happy, right? And so the inferences that follow from that are, are, are different. Um, but these systems don't quite get it. And so that tells me you know, they're not intelligent because because yeah. they can't actually kind of make the basic semantic connections between things that, that are needed. This is interesting. Um, a lot of people uh, have get, get into debate of um, intelligence versus not intelligent, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that point sometime later uh, as we wanted to remain within AI for health, but but definitely yep. this is very this is very I'll interesting. Crack, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the natural. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I remember we when we had our chat um, offline and you were mentioning about and you also mentioned about being a co-founder of Australian Alliance for AI in Healthcare. So um, and you mentioned about launching a national policy framework proposal uh, from that forum. Uh, what is that? Would you like to tell us about it and how it is going to like bring up any benefits to to the Australians? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, really what this is about is us trying to um, recognize and acknowledge that AI is really, really, really important in the national conversation right now, in the global conversation. And recognizing that AI has huge potential and opportunity to transform healthcare. But that we also need to be thinking about um, how we use AI safely, um, what the possible kind of consequences of widespread adoption are, and what we were talking about earlier, kind of what the technical requirements are, maybe the regulatory requirements around adopting AI in, in healthcare settings. And so um, we convened um, a few months ago a, a summit um, we call it the AI Summit um, of healthcare leaders, including representatives from the Federal Department of Health, State Departments of Health, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and so on. And um, we had a conversation about, uh, about AI in the healthcare setting and um, came up through that discussion with some recommendations um, relating to safety, quality, ethics, but also workforce development and what are the workforce implications um, of, of adopting AI in the healthcare setting. You know, we don't train our nurses and our doctors necessarily to, to work with AI tools. So what needs to change in, in that context? Um, you know, consumers, uh, consumers need to have some level of digital health literacy so they, so they um, can understand what it means to have an AI system involved in the diagnosis of, of their, of their um, illness or the decisions around their care. Um, and then, of course, there's the broader context of the, of the um, AI industry trying to work in health and um, making sure that they understand the kind of sensitiveness of, of the health context and the data itself and really think through the kind of um, um, regulatory environment that we have in place for AI yeah. in healthcare. And so it, it has these kind of different aspects to it. And we've come up with about um, 16 recommendations that we'll be presenting um, actually in a couple of weeks. Cool. 
That's exciting. I keep an eye on that one. That it yeah. will help a lot to create a framework and like we were talking about having the comprehensive data, I guess it's a good starting point. Yeah, I mean, and this is about, you know, just these are recommendations and, you know, mm. um, we, we don't, we're not saying this is the only way to approach things. And of course, there, there are much broader conversations also being driven by Department of Industry around responsible AI. And so, you know, there, there, this focus on healthcare has to connect to the broader conversations, but there are specific aspects to the healthcare setting. Um, it is a highly sensitive, highly private area. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the decision-making around health is, is extraordinarily complicated. And we invest, you know, a huge amount of money and individuals invest a huge amount of time um, as a society into, into training people to become good healthcare providers and, you know, we need to be thinking about, you know, what what disruption there might be to those systems um, and, and how that's going to impact the, the way we practice health and what investments required as well, because, exactly. you know, it, it's it's it will take some resources to get this right. That is true. I guess you already um, touched on some of the gaps that you saw um, in this area. But for example, for a small to big clinics, when we go to practices, some of them are really old school, right? So everything is basically paper-based. So for example, if I go to a clinic to make an appointment from that experience and also going to the surgery, it's majority of the process not, not, not being digitized yet. When do you think we'd be in a position that we can see some of these improvement being infused to these processes? Yeah, so How many I mean, years from now, <laughs> like I said, we are already seeing some benefits, right? Um, and that's why kind of starting with the images is mm. is is a good place to start because because that it's true. something that, that um, is manageable. We can think about how to integrate that into into workflows and and decisions. Um, in terms of like the broader use of of um, well digitization. Yes, I, I, unfortunately, we still have a lot of health uh, of paper floating around our healthcare system. Yes. <laughs> and and I mean, I would like us to to just sort of park that um, and and move forward into the you know twenty first century. <laughs> but um, you know that's a problem. Somebody, yes, yeah, somebody needs to solve that. But I, I think if if you know if we focus on okay, let's assume we're going to have digital systems because to me that that's that's a no brainer, right? You know, we we just mm -hmm. need to, we need to have digital systems, and if there are barriers in place to digital systems, oh well, we need to fix that. It's just this is not even a discussion point. Just, can we just move on, get off paper, kill the fax industry once and for all? let's do it you know we can do it we have a we have a my health record we have a way to 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 um safely and securely share um data let's just do it then we need to think about let's assume that's done and then we need to think about you know how how we can integrate ai more broadly into the system and that's gonna that's gonna take time will that be five years from now well we're gonna see little pockets right um, we already have genetic testing that uses biomarkers and, yep. you know, that's building on bioinformatics. It's not AI necessarily, but we're going to start to see, you know, kind of more targeted specific uh, uses of AI that support particular diagnoses, partic you know, detection of particular problems. 
And then little by little, it will expand. And, and these tools will become more powerful because they'll also have access to more data. And so the, it's going to be, you know, I don't think we're going to see an overnight flip switch um, go around this, but, but it will, little by little, we will see the transformation happen. I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for all the recommendation and analysis. Yeah. Really yeah cool. um, uh, I, I definitely had like half of more questions. Uh, what I would have asked you, Karen, <laughs> but I'm, I'm mindful of this. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so we will definitely have to do part two. And that too, that that part two needs to be infused with a lot with, with NLP in that. Um, in yes, that please. So, yeah, because there has been a lot of discussions. Like it's not just health when you were talking about the NLP part. I was thinking law um, because... Why not? Um, there, there has been a simple, uh, sorry, similar complications with that. Um, we don't see the lawsuits or the the public lawsuits are there, but there are private lawsuits which are not here, uh, not on the internet, uh, publicly mm -hmm. available. So, uh, similar kind of scenarios. Of course, not life threatening as or or life critical as as health, but but they are the part of our lives. So we'll definitely um, request you to to be with us again, but um, it was wonderful, definitely. And um, I'm sure that our listeners and uh, those who are viewing us are, are going to get benefit of it. Um, thanks once again uh, for being a part of this podcast. You're thanks, welcome. Thanks for insight. Thanks. All right, everybody. So we'll definitely see you next month with another fantastic guest. Um, till then, have a great day and enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.